Um, really pr proud to introduce Alex Narasta. You know, libertarians tend to get bad raps. We get caricatured. One of the things we get caricatured is that you're non-interventionists. You don't believe that there's ever a case for military intervention, and that's not true. We think it's a legitimate role of the state to, to uh, defend our country and protect our freedom. Also, we get caricatured as you believe in open borders, and clearly there are some libertarians who might feel that way. I think most of us at Cato believe that a sovereign country like the United States has a lot to, should have a lot to say and should be able to make decisions about who comes here, what the rules are, et cetera. But we also feel that immigration has been you know, an unbelievable benefit to the United States throughout its history and that that continues today. And even if you don't agree with that, and I, I, I do believe that, I mean, when I am uh, going to work in the morning in an Uber and there's an Ethiopian driver in a spotless vehicle telling me about the three jobs he's working and how much he loves his wife and two children, the first thing I'd think is not, boy, this guy's gotta go. Um, and I think immigrants have just given, uh, you know, uh, contributed just such a richness to our country, have contributed to our economic growth, the innovative, dynamic nature of our, our economy. Um, but even if you don't share that view, um, I think we could all agree that the debate about immigration should take place on the basis of facts and analysis and research. And Alex Narasta has made such a contribution to... Uh, basically shedding some light on the arguments around the economics of immigration, whether immigrants are all on welfare, whether they're security risks, whether they're criminals, and whether they're impacting our culture. And a lot of the uh, arguments that are made don't stand up to scrutiny. So we think that you know, we've made a tremendous contribution already in trying to diffuse some of the, the false narratives that are out there. And Alex and his team have also made a great contribution to trying to uh, develop and propose, you know, common sense reforms that can, you know, we, we agree that uh, the situation, we do have a, a problem with illegal immigration in our country. We think that it has the most to do with the fact that our immigration policy and our immigration system uh, are, are broken and need to be reformed. And uh, Alex and his team have contributed to uh, a number of bills that have been introduced in, in uh, Congress to give states more say about immigration into their states, to uh, figure out better ways to wall off the welfare state rather than walling off the country. You also uh, probably see Alex now and then on the Tucker Carlson show. And uh, recently, uh, Alex was paid the ultimate compliment by Tucker when um, Tucker was having a hard time um, arguing with the facts Alex was, uh, was, was uh, putting on the table, and so he shut off Alex's mic. Um, and that caused a journalist to tweet that I think both Tucker Carlson and Alex Narasta oppose socialism and therefore don't support public ownership. But it's clear from that debate last night that Tucker doesn't have a problem being owned publicly. <laughs> so with that, please welcome Alex Narasta. Uh, thank you, Peter, for that uh, introduction. Um, I always like to think back fondly about those appearances on Tucker's show. Um, this debate is probably one of the hottest, I think, going on right now, certainly for the last three or four years. And just like Peter said, 
the, uh, the heat to light ratio in the discussion is pretty out of whack. And what I'm going to do is, I think, try to shed just some simple, uncontroversial facts or facts that should be uncontroversial. Um, the first one is this is a highly simplified <laughs> legal map of what a small portion of our current legal immigration system is. Um, there's basically four ways to come to this country lawfully uh, on a green card that would allow you to eventually become a citizen if you want to. The biggest one is to be closely related to an American. The second, and there's only a small number of these green cards, is uh, for highly skilled workers sponsored by an American company. Very complicated, super uh, uh, expensive for firms. The third is if you're a refugee and asylum or asylum seeker, you're not really lucky if you're in that category. And then the fifth is a small number of visas that are uh, given out by lottery. There is no green card category for a low-skilled worker to come here unless you're very closely related to a, a current American. So the system that is in place right now, you apply this one backwards in time, virtually none of our ancestors would be here today. And uh, this is something that I think if was known, if was understood by the public, by people in the media, by politicians, I think would change the debate more than any other. Uh, a lot of folks, I think, assume that it's just easy to come here legally and um, according to legal scholars, um, especially Elizabeth E. Hall Jr. at Rutgers University, this legal system, this uh, immigration system, the immigration laws are second in complexity only to the income tax. <laughs> Big difference from Ellis Island. Now, one of the things I like to do at Cato is to answer the difficult questions. Um, you probably notice this if you watch a lot of TV or read stuff in the media, but uh, you know, people will ask a question. And then the answer that experts give isn't the exact answer that people asked. It's somewhat related, but not the exact one. Uh, my example of crime is people say, well, what is the illegal immigrant crime rate? And then the answer is usually, well, the immigrant crime rate is this. And it's like, that's not an answer to the question. So what we try to do is answer these specific questions about crime, what is the danger from foreign-born terrorism, welfare, and then how to fix the legal immigration system. First on crime, you all have probably heard that the United States government does not track uh, crime or incarcerations or convictions by immigration status. You know, they don't do a poll to see how many criminals are illegal immigrants, for instance, when they get arrested. Um, and that's true in 49 states. In 49 states, state governments do not ask, and that's where most people are incarcerated, they do not ask any questions, uh, they do not take a poll about your immigration status. One state they do, it is, uh, I'm a native born Californian, but I must say this state is also my, this state is actually my favorite state, is Texas. Texas does count that. Um, they count it by crime, too. And the evidence, and I found this data, I was the first one to find this and put this up publicly. Um, this is the criminal conviction rate per 100,000, um, divided up. Um, this is per 100,000 natives, per 100,000 illegal immigrants, per 100,000 legal immigrants. This is the criminal conviction rate in Texas in 2016. For every 100,000 native-born Americans, 1,633 of them were convicted of a crime in 2016. For illegal immigrants, out of every 100,000 of them, 868 were convicted of a crime. Now that's about half, a little bit more than half of the native-born rate. Legal immigrants, of course, are the best. Um, 559 convictions per 100,000 of them. 
But this is, I think, an important fact that we put out there. This has been broadcast on CNN, on Fox, on MSNBC, NPR, uh, talk radio all over the place. Um, now, you might look at this and say, okay, that's all crimes, right? Maybe illegal immigrants commit all the bad crimes, like murder. Well, they have it by homicide, by murder in Texas. This is the uh, homicide conviction rate for natives, 3.3 per 100,000. Illegal immigrants, 1.8 per 100,000. Legal immigrants, 1 per 100,000. Um, this is based, you know, Texas is a great state for a lot of reasons. It is a state especially good for studying this. It borders Mexico. It has the second largest illegal immigrant population of any state in the United States, overwhelmingly Hispanic as well. It's a Republican state. It's governed um, by Republicans for a very long time. It has a very strong tradition of the rule of law and of enforcing criminal laws. So there's no conspiracy on the state level to cover this stuff up. There's no sanctuary cities um, in the state of Texas. There's nothing that would obscure this. So it's a great state to study, and the facts are, uh, are pretty good uh, in terms of that. If you're worried about this, um, illegal immigrants and legal immigrants have a lower conviction rate than native-born Americans by quite a bit. Uh, second thing I like to worry about or I like to talk about or research is terrorism. Um, the government has a responsibility uh, for national security to protect the life, liberty, and prior property of Americans and people in the United States from people who wish to do it harm. Uh, preventing terrorists from entering the United States is absolutely core uh, to that mission. Um, but when President Trump was running in 2016, uh, he and a lot of other folks were talking about how dangerous foreign-born terrorists were. And we tried to find some numbers about this. Did anybody do research about what the actual level of threat is? Um, and so nobody had done it, so I spent months um, racing against the clock. The, the clock was my wife giving birth to our first son, or afterwards I would have no, um, our new immigrant to our family, I guess. Um, and I knew we wouldn't have much time, so what I decided to do was just take a look at all the terrorist attacks in the United States from 1975 um, through the end of 2017. This is an updated version of this. It's coming out soon. I found that there were 3,037 people murdered on U.S. soil in terrorist attacks committed by foreign-born terrorists. That's including 9-11, of course, which accounts for 98% of those deaths, um, which means your annual chance of being murdered is about 1 in 3.8 million per year by a foreign-born terrorist. So that is, um, I think, not as high as a lot of people think, um, but it is definitely a threat. And then what we did was we broke it down by the visa or lack of visa that these terrorists had when they originally entered the United States. Because if there was a failure in security or if there was a failure in vetting, that's where the failure was, you know, at the point where they came into the United States. So our hope is that this research will inform the government about where they should concentrate a lot of their resources uh, for vetting or where at least it's been bad in the future. You see tourist visas, uh, the deadliest, the most dangerous. That's because 18 out of the 19 uh, hijackers of 9-11 uh, entered on tourist visas. Student visas, third most uh, dangerous because one of the hijackers of 9-11 entered on the tourist visa. But you can see with tourist visas, the, the, the rate, the chance of being murdered uh, starts to fall precipitously uh, to one in 73 million per year. Lawful permanent residents, these are green cards, people come in on green cards. Annual chance of, they've murdered 17 people over this time period. Annual chance of being murdered, 168 million per year. K-1 visa, that's the fiance visa, Tashfin Malik, who was one of the shooters in the San Bernardino attack in late 2015, entered on this visa. Um, she murdered 14 people in that attack. Um, annual chance during this time period of 826 million. And then it just goes down the list. People are very worried about refugees. Um, refugee terrorists 
in the United States have murdered a total of three people since 1975 on US soil, um, all of them in the late 1970s. They were all um, Cuban anti-communists who assassinated communists in the 1970s. There have been some other refugees who have attempted attacks, but they haven't been able to kill anybody. Uh, one of the things you notice when you study terrorism a lot is that most terrorists are crazy, uh, mentally ill, uh, and it's the only type of news story that I read where, more, where frequently the IQ of the perpetrator is mentioned. <laughs> it's usually in the 70s and 80s. If you know anything about IQ, the median and average is 100. So you're dealing with a, a group of people who are just not very successful at doing what they do. So this, I think, sheds a lot of light. We were the first ones to do this. This sheds a lot of light on the nature of the threat, the nature of this danger, and where the government should allocate these resources. We also do a lot of work on legal and uh, illegal immigration. Um, our basic theory that we operate under is that increasing the opportunities to come here legally will destroy the reason to come here illegally by creating a legal market to counter that very restrictive market that we have now, that very uh, restrictive system, will eliminate illegal immigration. One of the examples we have of this is in the early 1950s. Two million illegal immigrants from Mexico. Uh, President Eisenhower uh, did a couple things, but one of the most important was he made it possible for all of these folks to get a work permit, to work legally in the, Mexi in the Southwest made it very easy for employers in the US and agriculture to hire them. And what happened was, in the course of about a year, there were 1.8 million deportations, which is basically code for handing them a work permit and getting them back to work legally, knowing who they are, checking them out to make sure they aren't criminals, but making them work legally. What happened is, by 1954, the number of people crossing the border illegally every year fell by 95%. The Mexicans learned that they can come here legally and work. Pretty easy to get a permit. American farmers who wanted to hire them learned all they need to do is like basically check a box and get a permit. And the creation of this legal market is what destroyed illegal immigration in the 1950s. It uh, reduced the number of people here illegally by 90%, decreased border crossers by 95 They didn't have to hire any more Border Patrol agents. Just fixing those legal rules. So happy I followed Tom Bell. Fixing those legal rules really solved that problem um, at a very small um, cost. Why then does this system not exist now? What's the problem now? Um, like a lot of good things in this country, it was killed by labor unions. Uh, Cesar Chavez, you guys have all probably heard of him, uh, probably the most overrated person um, sort of in the public consciousness. He was the head of a labor union, United Farm Workers Union. He realized that um, in order to get his union off the ground, um, he had to kill this guest worker visa program. So they lobbied Congress. They sent people down, labor union members to the border to beat up migrants when they came over. They went to different people's farms to turn in migrants to the INS, to harass migrants, etc. They eventually succeeded in 1954 to repeal and end this program, which is why you see the red line, the, the blue line here. This program ended right there. The blue line is the number of illegal immigrants coming in each year, a proxy measurement. The red line is the number of guest worker visas. When that basically dropped off, the number of illegal immigrants skyrocketed. Um, the legal rules changed. The economy didn't. Americans still wanted to hire these folks. Mexicans still wanted to work here. Uh, the only difference was they only had to, they had to do so lawfully because the rules disappeared. Um, our contribution to this is to, to recommend the creation of a state-based guest worker visa program modeled off of what Canada does. Allow states like California to craft their own rules. 
Um, we, uh, Texas to craft its own rules, different states to do so. Uh, we got, uh, we basically um, wrote a large portion of this bill and um, in cooperation with Republican Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin and his staff, and he introduced it. Um, last Congress, it also got some co-sponsors, such as Senator, late Senator John McCain. And the last thing uh, is welfare. Uh, of course, I'm very concerned about welfare. I'm a libertarian. I don't want the welfare state to exist. Um, unfortunately, it does. Um, and one of the uh, comments and criticisms of immigration is they're all coming here to use welfare for a variety of reasons, legal reasons and others. Uh, what this, uh, the, the, some of them do have some access, but it's very limited. Basically, when you take a look at the totality of the welfare state, both the entitlements and those meant for people who are in poverty, uh, if you add up all the red, which are immigrants, compare it to all the blue, which are natives, uh, immigrants consume about 40% less uh, per capita than do uh, native-born Americans. And when it comes to programs like Medicare, um, they pay $14 billion a year more into the program than they take out every year, um, largely because of their age brackets, age demographics. Native-born Americans, by comparison, take out $31 billion a year more than what they pay in. So I'm not a fan of the welfare state. I like the welfare state uh, to disappear. Um, and, but the fiscal analysis that I've done by this uh, basically shows that the welfare state will be more solvent for longer because of immigrants. But it's not a big problem in terms of this. Regardless, I would like those red numbers to be zero, uh, at least until we become citizens. Um, we wrote a paper called um, How to Build a Wall Around the Welfare State. A uh, very detailed legal proposal of the specific laws that Congress would need to change to deny welfare to non-citizens, all non-citizens in the United States. We were the first organization to do this in DC. I want to use immigration as a way to restrict welfare. I don't want to use welfare as a way to attack immigration. That's our basic strategy here. We convinced Representative Grothman, a Republican from Wisconsin, to introduce a bill modeled entirely on our proposal. Uh, he introduced it in the last Congress. And this is going to be sort of the gold standard going forward uh, for what uh, Republicans, but also Democrats, will have to take up in order to restrict welfare for non-citizens as part of any future compromise. So uh, we're sort of leading the fight on that battle. So, we do research on every topic of immigration. Very happy to take any of your uh, questions or comments related to any of it or anything going on in the news right now.